Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This episode, entitled Perishing Earth, Heaven, Hell, was given on January 13, 2019, by Bethany Shea in the series From the Ashes. So, uh, we have been in John 3.16 since the fall, and we are still in it, and we are going to go through it at a snail's pace still. Uh, So we've got probably another like three weeks or so on this passage, and then we'll move on to the next passage of scripture, which I'm not sure what it will be yet, but we're meeting with our vision team today. So hopefully, hopefully you guys all know where we're going next. (laughs) Uh, But last week we looked at John 3.16. We looked at the portion of scripture of shall not perish. And the word for perish in the Greek is apulimi, which means uh, destroyed or rendered useless. And oftentimes in that verse, that you know, that, that if you believe in Jesus, you will not perish but have eternal life. Oftentimes there's this common narrative that many of us have grown up with that says that you live your life here on earth as good as you possibly can. And then you'll end up and you'll stand before God's judgment and God will evaluate your life if you believed in Jesus or not. And then you'll be sent to one of two places, heaven or hell. But when we look throughout the Bible, when we look throughout the scriptures, we never see heaven and hell connected together. They're never put in the same passage. What we see is that the counterpart to heaven is not hell, it's earth. And so again and again we read about about heaven and earth being together throughout the book of Genesis, especially in those first two, two to three chapters of Genesis. So the first verse is God created the heavens and the earth. And then in, the, in chapter 2, we read again that God created the heavens and the earth. And it says it three times, that God created the heavens and the earth, heavens and the earth, heavens and the earth. Why is it three times? Do you all remember? What does the three represent? It signifies importance. It signifies to remember, to pay attention. There was no Helvetica font in this. There was no Times New Roman or like bold print to help you know that, oh, this is really important. I got to pay attention. If we needed to pay attention to something in the scripture, the Hebrew and the Greek people had a number and the number was three. The three represented a sense of completion or wholeness. And so if a word is written three times, it's saying this is important for you to remember. Pay attention. And so we see that heaven and earth are joined together. So to understand what it means when Jesus says, shall not perish, we have to understand what it looks like to not perish from the standpoint of creation. If God created heaven and earth, and those who believe in Jesus will not perish, we have to get to that space of creating. So turn me to to 2 Corinthians in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's in the New Testament, after 1 Corinthians, right after Romans. So 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to start on verse uh, 17. And we'll go to verse 21. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. This is a letter he wrote to them, and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right. Can somebody shut the doors there just because it's a little loud out there? Oh, thanks, Megan. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And Paul is a person who has had experienced major change in his life, right? Like, he was this Jewish religious leader. He was a a Pharisee. And he felt like he was obligated to keep all of Israel pure and spotless before God, making sure that each Jewish person kept all the laws and all the rules of God perfectly. And then the Jesus movement began to start up. And the Jesus movement of Jews and non-Jews they begin to believe that this crucified rabbi was actually the Messiah. And the Messiah isn't just like some cool person out there. The Messiah is God's anointed one. Like the Messiah was the hope of the world, was God's hope for all of humanity. And so this crucified, dead Messiah, or rabbi is considered the Messiah. And Paul is so disgusted by this thought. He is so angry and frustrated by this thought that that he believes his righteous anger will give him permission to find the followers of the way of Jesus in every town and village, to rip them out of their communities, out of their homes, out of their families, and then to lock them up in prison for their beliefs. And at least on one occasion, we read in the Bible that, that Paul was at the stoning of a Christian man named named Stephen. And so he was there at the stoning, at the murder of Stephen, and it says that he's standing, watching, and approving of what was happening. And so one day, this guy, Paul, Paul is like fully convinced that the life that he was living, the way that he understood the scriptures, was absolutely right. It was the right way to live. And he believed that he was experiencing life the way that he was designed to experience life through God and that everybody else had it wrong. And so he fully believed his perspective on God and how to live worthy of God and that everybody else, whoever had it wrong, had to have their mind changed or there would be some sort of consequence, prison, death. And one day he's traveling down this road. He's going towards this village called Damascus. And before he even gets on the road, he goes to the high priest, which is the, the, the religious leader in charge of all the other religious leaders. And he says, hey, I'm going to this next town, to Damascus. And I just want to make sure that I have your permission to go throughout and find these followers of the way of Jesus and lock them up. Do I have your blessing? And the high priest says, yes, absolutely, you have my blessing. And so Paul is on this road to Damascus. He's, he's getting ready to seek out and destroy these, these followers of the way which he is not any way like trying to beat around the bush with it. He's like, men, women, children, anything, we're going to round them up and throw them in prison. And Acts 9 describes him as being sustained by his murderous rage and angry thoughts towards Christians. Like, 
Like nothing brings him more joy or more satisfaction or pleasure or passion in this world than injuring and damaging and destroying Christians and their families. And while he's walking down this road, fantasizing about like tapping on windows, I'm coming to get you, or knocking down doors, or, or, or discovering different house churches where they might be and, and ripping them apart, he encounters this bright light, and, and it blinds him, and he falls down because it's so disturbing and disrupting on his way, and this, this voice comes about that only he can hear. It says that only he can hear this voice. And this voice calls him by name, and the voice introduces himself as Jesus, and then asks Paul why he's persecuting him, as if the Christians Paul hurts and kills is just the same as killing and hurting Christ himself. And then from that moment on, Paul is absolutely changed. He is no longer who he once was. Nothing about him is the same because he encountered Jesus and then he keeps encountering Jesus because the Holy Spirit of Jesus lives within him. And it's this constant forever encounter. It says in 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Turn with me to Genesis 1.1. Please. I think most of us know this one as well. And the reason that this verse is so important is because it roots the entire scripture and in fact all of our humanity and all of our understanding of ourselves and the world is rooted in this first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God has such a vested interest in God's creation. Okay, now go down to verse 27, please. It says here, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what is that? That word create is the word that we read in the beginning in 1-1 and then the next one as well. Create is bara in Hebrew. It's the creating that only God can do. It's not the same as human creations. If you and I create something, if we want to paint something or knit a sweater or a scarf or, or, or we want to repair an engine or whatever it is, create a human even, we cannot create out of something that doesn't exist. We create, we create out of what already exists. We don't create, create out of nothing. And this word bara is God creating something of significance out of nothing. And what's interesting about this, this passage that we just read, this verse that we just read, is that that word create is, is three times. So we have to be aware and pay attention to the significance of what the writer is saying here. God created human beings in God's image. And it's because God wants humans to know how important and worthy we are. We are created in the image of God. You have a divine imprint upon you that you didn't gain from your own merit or your own spiritual worth. Like you didn't, you didn't do it because you're spiritual enough. 
Like you have, you have been and are fully loved by the God who created you in God's image. And there's nothing that you've done to be created in this way. You have not done anything to be created in this way. But in the same breath, there's this reality that God and God's creation has been fractured by a lack of trust. And it says that in Genesis, that there was some sort of fracturing, that, that, that heaven and earth was fractured by a human desire to make it on our own, that we don't need God for anything. And so while humans are still created in the image of God, that image of God still remains in human beings, oftentimes we live as if it's not true. And so Jesus, what we see in the Bible is that Jesus took every lack of trust, every doubt, of God's goodness, every belief that God isn't faithful, and Jesus allowed all of your doubts and all of your mistakes and all the ways that you've hurt other people for your own benefit to be destroyed on the cross and to perish so that you shall not perish. Because every person is created in God's image and is worthy of God's love and devotion. And once a person recognizes that reality, everything begins to change. Through Jesus, we are new creations. The old is gone. And that word for new creation in the Greek is actually that same word that is used in the Hebrew for create, bara. This means that this new creation that happens within us is not something that that we muster up or something that we can become on our own by our own good merit. This new creation isn't us becoming more perfect. This new creation is an act of grace from God towards humans who place their faith and their belief in Jesus that Jesus is who Jesus says he is. Yeah. And so we are new creations. Because God makes us so, not because we're good enough to be so. This phrase, new creation, it's, it's a very Jewish way of thinking. Because new creation in the Bible and in the Jewish mindset only came about after that final judgment. So you've got heaven and earth together. God created them to be together. There's this fracture that happens with sin and death that we read about in the Bible, and and it kind of creates this separation or, or, or a fracture between heaven and earth. And then eventually what's supposed to happen is this final judgment, and then from the final judgment, a new heavens and a new earth comes about. And that's what we read about in in Revelation 21. But what we're seeing here in the scripture that we just read in 2 Corinthians, what we're seeing is that Paul is saying that there is a new creation already bursting forth in the midst of the old. We're not waiting for the judgment to happen. It's already happening now in believers. Yes. Yes. There's hope, there's new hope, there's new joy, there's new life in the middle, in the midst of the old that is all around us. Like Paul, who met Jesus on the road and everything changed for him, we too are no longer who we once were. When we've received Jesus into our lives, we are no longer who we once were. And everything in our past is reconciled before God. Just as we read, new creations are this reconciling before God. How many people here have seen The Truman Show? Remember that movie that came out? 
Yeah, it came out like maybe, what, 10 or 15 years ago? It's with Jim Carrey. It's a great show. I don't know if it's on Netflix, but you guys should all watch it because it's really funny and just heartwarming. Anyway, it's a, it's a show about this, this guy named Truman, and it's a, basically it's a reality show that everyone else around the world watches but for Truman, he has no idea that he is in this reality show. He's born on the show. He's raised in the show. He goes through elementary school and high school, and he gets married, and he works a job, and he lives his life in a predictable manner where everything is as he understands it to be. He has no idea that he is the reality show of everybody else watching. And then one day he begins to see that his life kind of seems a little bit overproduced. Like... Wow, this is, maybe, maybe I'm not living a life that's actual reality. Like he's starting to cue in and see that, that things aren't quite as he always thought they were. Maybe there's something more. Maybe there's a truth to his life that's been kind of twisted, and there's something beyond what he knows around him. And it's like this deeper reality. And once he begins to see that his life might actually be kind of a lie, he cannot go back to living that lie. It's like everything changes. So, so what he does is he starts to pursue the truth at the cost of everything in him because he cannot go back to the way things once were, even though it might be easier and it might be more familiar and everything is just simple for him in the life as it once was. It's familiar. And I bet that there were times with Paul where he felt tempted by the familiarity of his old life. Not killing Christians. He liked his Christians. He wasn't going to go back and be like, oh man, you guys aren't quite Christian enough, so you shouldn't be here anymore. He didn't want to do that. I'm sure that would never cross his mind. But, but being admired, being valued for his skills, for the things he brought to the table of this good religious way of living, Paul's life after Christ wasn't easy. I mean, he was continually rejected and, and, and disdained. He was, he, people didn't trust him very well. Even Jesus' disciples didn't trust him, oftentimes. He was beaten and imprisoned. He was almost killed multiple times. And Paul says in the book of Philippians, he's writing to this church in Philippi, and he writes about his old life. And he writes about the ease and the comfort of his old life and about how well he was uh, paid attention to and how he was admired by these, this old, easy, familiar, comfortable life he once lived before Christ. And then he writes that he counts that old life as garbage, as garbage compared to just knowing Jesus. Simply to knowing Jesus, the familiarity, the comfortability, everything he once knew was garbage. And the word that he uses, that Greek word that he uses for garbage, is our swear word for crap, which is kind of a swear word in and of itself, but not really. But it, it's like the weight of what he considered his life before Jesus is just the worst of the worst. And I, I mean, think of your life before you knew Jesus. Before knowing how fully loved you are by God because of Jesus? Yeah, I've got, I've got some doubts. <laughs> I've got some uncertainty. I've got some questions. 
There are times when I wonder and I read and I'm like, I don't know, what does this make sense? There are times that that happens because I'm a human being, but I count life without Jesus as without Jesus as garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Compared to knowing how loved I am by God, that that knowing that God is with me in all things. And once I turned my attention to Jesus, it's like it's like I never had a full breath before. It's like I never knew how to breathe right before Jesus came into my life. I am a new creation. I cannot go back to my old way of living because that would be a lie, no matter how familiar it might be. Think of it this way. like If you are... Let's say you you are driving your road to work, the same road that you drive every single day. It's so familiar to you. You've driven it a hundred times before. And everything around you is, is familiar. It makes sense. And you get to work and it's the same old thing every day. And then one day you're driving to work, but in fact, you're not driving. You're sitting in the passenger seat and someone else is driving you to work. Maybe you had surgery or something and you just couldn't drive yourself. And you begin to see that familiar row of trees along the highway that you've seen your whole life. But this time, because you're not driving, you look to the right and you see one of the trees has a tree house in it that you've never seen before. And it's been there all along, but you've just never noticed it. When you're driving to work, you will forever notice that tree house. You cannot unsee what you've now seen. And I think that's the same in this life with Christ. Now that you've seen what's always been there, but you never noticed before, you cannot unsee it. Once you've tasted and seen that God is good, you cannot untaste and unsee. Everything changes. Anybody else know that I'm talking about here? Yeah, yeah. Like you've experienced Christ's transformation in your life. And maybe you weren't walking like Paul. Maybe you weren't killing people or doing some horrible things, but yet... It's like your eyes were open like scales fell off and you were able to see something that was there all along. Yeah. Yeah. Where your circumstances might not change, but the way that you respond to your circumstances change forever. Anybody want to share anything about that? Yeah. For me, it's like, uh, like the living water quenches some kind of thirst that nothing else can. And you try try like so many different things and it's just that deep down like, you're really, really thirsty, you know, yeah. you need a drink, and you drink, like, some warm Coke in a can, or something, <laughs> something really gross, like, lukewarm coffee, but it's just, like, that living water, it yeah. just quenches the thirst of the spirit, like, nothing else, yeah. like, deep down, you know? That's good. Anybody else? Hmm. then we have to ask the question, what does it look like to live as new creations? If heaven and earth are joined together in this new heaven and new earth, what does it look like to 
to be new creations in the midst of the old. And this is not about being good people or working towards salvation. There's nothing that we're working towards. It's about embodying what's to come. If there's a new heaven and a new earth that is to come, and we are currently living as new creations in the midst of the old, what does it look like to embody this newness that God is calling us to do and live in this world? So we look at, in, in the book of Revelation, we look at what this new heaven and new earth will look like. It looks like all tongues, tribes, coming together in one voice and one unison, worshiping God. So that means that, that, that these languages and races and nations are joined together. So, so what we do is, is we do that now. We celebrate diversity in all things because diversity with all of our languages and all of our different races and all of our different skin colors is bringing worship to God when we worship in one voice. And so we seek to find ways that we can worship others who don't look like us, think like us, or see God in the same way as we see God sometimes. There's in heaven what you see is this unification of male and females working together in, in unity and, and blessing each other and blessing each other's leadership. You see this there, so we practice that now. We embody that now. Heaven is the place where there's honesty and truth, where there's a sense of purity and equity within our relationships with each other. So we practice that way of living now. What's to come is justice for those who have been wronged. It's shelter for those who have no shelter. It's nourishment for the hungry. So we practice this way of living now. But if we are simply doing these good things for heaven to be revealed and we're not actually expressing the good news of Jesus Christ alongside our good works, it becomes social justice for the sake of social justice. Jesus says, the poor you will always have among you, but you will not always have me. If we are simply doing good for the sake of doing good and we're not actually bringing Christ in and with us, sharing the gospel of God's love to those who we are caring for, it is just a good deed. But I have seen also time and time again that people cannot receive the love of Jesus in their life if they are physically starving to death. It's We have to do both. We bring them Christ's love. We share the gospel of God's love. We bring them living water and say, we have something that will quench you forever while bringing a cup of water as well. Amen. It's both together. And as new creations, we allow God to meet that physical and spiritual hunger in those around us through us. It is not us and our own effort and our own merit that we do this. It is God moving through us as new creations. So the last thought I have here before we go into our time of response is, um, if we are new creations, if my old self is gone and I've been reconciled to God through Christ, why do I struggle with my old self sometimes? Why is that still a reality for so many people? If I'm being made into the image of God, into the image of Christ, why do I still struggle that I believe I'm better than somebody else sometimes? Why do I desire or else 
people desire or other Christians desire that, that different life or a different partner or believing that this career will make me feel like a more whole and complete person. If I just get to that space, I'll finally be happy in life. Why do we find ourselves overspending or wasting our resources or weighed down with resentment towards that person who stabbed us in the back? Why don't I always act, live, and talk like the new creation that I am? Turn me to Ephesians. <laughs> Ephesians 4.22. We'll be there for, for just this last portion here. Thanks for sticking with me. Anything coming up so far? Before we get to Ephesians, this Ephesian passage shows us that there's a continual renovation of our hearts through God's work in our lives, but it is this continual renovation. It says here in uh, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Excuse me. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Okay, we'll stop there. What I see through Paul, through his writing here, is that our old self is corrupted, is bitter, is resentful, is greedy. And oftentimes our old self tends to numb trauma and hurt through different types of addictions creates a home for shame to live instead of living a life of vulnerability, being open in the confidence of Christ, and knowing that Christ will never reject you. And so what we see here is that it's like the sense of, of truthfulness and honesty, living in a space of, of mutual vulnerability within the, the body of Christ. What does he say here? He says, members of one body. This, this verse in 27, and do not give the devil a foothold. That word foothold means to make a space or make a room in your life for the devil. And the devil oftentimes gets looked at as this like big bad creature with a pitchfork and stuff. The devil in this, in this passage simply means that whatever is against the beauty, grace, peace, and kindness of God. Whatever is against that is the devil. And Paul is saying, don't make room, don't make a space, don't create room for this sort of thing that is against God in any way of your life. Do you, you, because you've taken off your old self and you've put on the new self, which is in Christ. This is why discipleship is so important in the life of a Jesus follower. We are not just called to go to church to listen to a good sermon or a mediocre sermon. We're not called to just to read Christian books and keep like bringing in more information or listening to like really compelling podcasts. I think all those things are really good. They can help us to be rooted in Christ. 
which we have to be rooted in Christ first and foremost. But the word rooted in Christ is also it's also put in the same passage. It talks about being built up. So not only are we rooted in Christ by these important good words of this relationship that we have as individuals with Christ Jesus, we are built up by the church. It's this way of discipleship. We are meant to grow. We are meant to not only be rooted and to grow and to produce the fruit of the spirit means that we need to be in a space of discipleship with other people. And discipleship is intentionally walking alongside other disciples of Jesus to be formed into the character of Christ. And so we surround ourselves with people who continually point us to Jesus. If your heart belongs to Jesus, you will bear fruit that looks like goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. This fruit that you bear sometimes comes after being rooted for a while. There are seasons in your life where you are not ready to bear fruit yet because God is still working a good work in your life. And the fruit will be small, but there will be fruit. If you are in Christ, there will be fruit and you will grow in that fruit and that fruit will be harvested. Your life will take on the character of love and joy and peace and patience. It will not be defined or determined by your situations or your accomplishments. And as we become conformed into the image of Christ, our hearts become more aware of the brokenness around us and in creation and God's desire to help heal it through working through us as his new creations. A new heaven and a new earth are to come. But in the meantime, you are the new creation whose character is being conformed to the image of Christ to help God bring heaven to earth, to help God repair that fracture. And through Christ, we embody what's to come by sharing the gospel of God's transforming love through our words and through our deeds for God's glory. Jesus, I I am so amazed at your teachings, at, at your word, God, thank you for um, thank you for for letting Paul be an example for us. I, you know, I used to look at Paul and be really upset by him. I even called him a male chauvinist pig a few times. It's a confession, Lord. But what a story of new creation breaking forth, where he was still so changed by you and still desiring to conform to you, Jesus, and yet. You were there with him all along, bringing him deeper into your presence, bringing him deeper into a place of community and revealing to all of us today, 2,000 years later, that you are still moving and working in this world. God, I thank you that you have called us to be your new creations where the old is gone. Lord, we confess anything before you that might keep us from experiencing your presence right now the walls that we've put up around our hearts, the ways that we have made room for things that are not that are not for you, but are against you. So we lay those things before your feet. We pray that you will continually transform us and conform us to the image of Christ to bring the healing that you desire in this world. May we be used and worked through you. May we be your conduits of grace and peace, mercy, kindness, justice. 
It is for your glory and for your name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about ways that you can be involved with Catalyst, please visit our website at provokechange.org. Until next time, continue loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving each other.